Dear listeners, we have a quick procrastinating announcement. We have a new email address, procrastinatingpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us comments, questions, your great-grandmother's favorite cookie recipe you'd like us to try, anything your heart desires. And now, on with the show. Procrastinating, a term most often used by the millennial generation, is a method of putting something off, delaying, or postponing something by taking part in the act of baking. Baking, a place to talk about our baking obsessions and avoid doing everything else. Coming to you from Southern California, I'm Louisa. I'm from Eastern North Carolina. I'm Rachel. Hi, Lou. Welcome, Rachel. Hello, hello. How are you? Hot. (laughs) (laughs) It's so hot. It's going to be like in the hundreds this week. No, that's so hot. Yeah, and it's summer just started. So to start off like that. Starting off with yeah, a bang. right. <laughs> Start off really hot. That's not a good sign. Um, I feel you. It's also really, really hot here too. It's so sad because every every year around this time we have to have our discussion of our fire evacuation plan because there's so many wildfires in Southern California. So we have oh, to make yeah. sure you know our little getaway bag is ready and we have a plan of what we would do. If we had to evacuate. Not fun. No, that's scary. <laughs> Very scary. I guess um, the silver lining is that I get time off in the summer since I work for the school system. So I'm looking forward to having some downtime and doing a few more baking projects. And I already got started on a few. I wanted to talk to you about a cheesecake that I made last week. Yes. You've been doing a lot of extra baking. I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, I did. um, Before the cheesecake, I made the peanut butter M&M blondies that you recommended to me. Yes. We're really good. I liked, I liked the flavor. I don't really make blondies too much. I think I kind of just, I don't know, maybe blondies are my sugar cookie. I kind of just, yeah, you know, I'm the same. They're not my favorite. Yeah. But these were actually really good. Um, I liked your recommendation of using the M&Ms instead of the Reese's pieces, because I think I had plenty of peanut butter already. But (laughs) I I feel bad. I took them to a, a birthday party for our friend, Kevin, and I there are two people there that were allergic to peanuts. So I felt kind of bad. Oh, they no. had to be, yeah, the, the blondies had to stay in the kitchen just for everyone's safety. So rookie mistake though. I'm like, when you bring stuff to a party, I think nut allergies are so common that it's probably not the best thing to bring. But I guess the upside is that I got to keep a lot of them for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Been snacking away at them. Um, the other thing I made was the, the New York cheesecake and I used a brave tart recipe, which I know you have a couple of those baking books, right? Um, yeah. I have one of her cookbooks and I really like it. Yeah. My friend Suzanne had requested a, a cheesecake as part of her going away celebration because she's moving to San Diego. And I, I know I've talked about cheesecake before on the podcast, but I haven't really found the one, you know, other than the Basque cheesecake I made last season, but oh yeah, more t- traditional cheesecake. I, um, I feel like I'm on a dating website. I'm still looking for the one. I think I found the one though. I think I found my, like when I want a New York cheesecake, this is the one I'm going to make. 
I, it was a little bit more involved than I thought, but I loved that she added goat cheese to the cheesecake, which I think just gave it a really nice, rich and like a special flavor Mm. to it. And it does not use a water bath, but even though it didn't use a water bath, it didn't crack. At least it didn't crack on its own. Um, I, (laughs) I made it crack because I... I made a mistake. My thermometer to check the internal temperature had run out of batteries and I didn't have any on hand. Um, so I so I guess this is another like tip that we can now share with people. Do not do not test if the cheesecake is done by inserting a knife because that will just cause it to crack, which is what I did. So it was so sad it came out beautiful, no cracks. And then I inserted the knife to check to see if there was like any residue and then it it cracked because of that. But I was impressed that even without the water bath, there was no cracks because I know that's a big, with people who make cheesecakes regularly, it's, it's pretty, I think, controversial to not use a water bath for that reason. So, but the flavor was so good. Um, it was so rich. I just topped it with fresh blueberries, but you could do any kind of fresh fruit. I think it would lend itself well to some caramel, some dulce de leche. So next time I make it, I would try some of that. That sounds good. Yeah, it was really good. and successful for one. So I was happy. <laughs> yeah. Are you doing any extracurricular baking? Um, I thought I was going to, cause my nephew was here. Um, he helped me with one of the podcast bakes and then decided he didn't <laughs> want to do anymore. Um, <laughs> so we put out the Yonanas machine though. So that was fun. Um, making chocolate Yonanas. Oh, the chocolate covered bananas. Well, it like turns it into soft serve consistency. Oh, I see. So you're so inserting the bananas in there turned into soft serve yes uh, we rolled them in cocoa powder and we were just like experimenting on trying to figure out how the best chocolate one and put a little bit we did it two ways one was with that and then with chocolate chips and then the second one we rolled in cocoa powder and but used um like a spoonful of ganache and that was the best one cool how long have you had this Yonanas machine I've never heard you speak of this I've had it a really long time, probably almost a decade. Um, <laughs> I used it a lot when I first got it, but to be honest, I hadn't used it in a couple of years until he asked about it. And I was like, oh yeah, let's let's do that. You know how we did um, like gizmos and gadgets and talked about things that we really love. We should also do an updated version of things that we have gotten or have purchased that we have used once and then put away because I have a couple of things like that. <laughs> That's a good idea. And I think your Yonanas is probably on the list. <laughs> I win it. Yeah. My cake pop maker was on that list. I ended up giving it away, but I don't know. Everything's making a comeback now. So maybe cake pops are going to make a comeback. Actually, when you came to visit me, we tried those boozy cake pops, remember? So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they were maybe, pretty good. They were good, but I just never, I just never crave a cake pop, you know? No. And I'd read like, once I had it, I was like, I think I would rather, rather had a cupcake or rather had the <laughs> actual cocktail. Like. It was just okay. Yeah, it was fine. It wasn't awful, but it was, yeah, just okay. So yeah, we sh- we need to do that list. Anything else going on? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a couple. I think my niece is going to come, but she's not coming for probably a month. So I don't have to do anything to prepare for that yet. So no, yeah, just work mostly. Yeah. I was going to tell you, I'm finally getting started doing real research on getting Claudia in the kitchen with me. I think she's ready. I'm finally going to get the little toddler stool so she can reach the kitchen counters. Oh, yeah. I'm a little nervous, though, because 
have you seen that? Well, there's more than one video, but the one that stands out to me is this video with a little boy, a toddler, and I think his grandmother and they're baking cookies and she has the butter out because it's been softened and he's just eating the butter and like grabbing. Oh no. <laughs> he's just grabbing everything. Um, that is where we are. So I think the key the there stage. is going to be to have extra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to like, it, it's, I don't know if anybody has like tips and tricks with for baking with toddlers, very young children. I would love to hear them because yeah, she's in her grabby, her grabby stage and she's very quick. I've never, I'm like so impressed at how fast she is. She's always she's so fast. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And her grip when she has something she's not supposed to have is like superhuman strength. So I'm going to need help because I'm very excited. I want her to be a part of it. And I've seen, I follow some accounts on Instagram of people who bake with the kids this young. So I know it can be done. I just need to, I don't know. It'd be nice to hear some real life advice too, you know? Cause I think Instagram also, sometimes they post these things because they want to sell you like a product that you're there, Yes. you know? So I'm like, I don't know. You make it seem like that's all I have to do and it'll be fine, but it'd be good to hear from maybe like real people. <laughs> but My first thought keep- would be to like, make sure like in her immediate reach is stuff she can grab and like play with and you don't care. Yeah. Which I'm going to have to work on. Like if you're doing seen- something and she's not helping. Yeah, she's yeah, got something to do. I might have to do like the mise en place, right? The things in the... In yeah, the, yeah. Because what I do now is I just have the open bags of flour, open bag of sugar. <laughs> I just have it out. So that's like a recipe for chaos. I need to do that. I just wonder too, like developmentally, could she help me? What could she do? Like help me crack an egg or I can give her a spatula. Maybe she could... You know, um, I don't remember if her kids were as young as yours. Um, when they started, but 100 days of real food, she's really big about getting kids in the kitchen. So she even does for like school age kids, like she does like a summer camp program with them virtually to teach them skills in the kitchen. So she might have some advice for toddler sized children too. That's cool. 100 days of food. Okay. I will check that out. Yeah, it'll be, I'll update you guys. I'm really excited to do this. I'm also a little nervous. So I'll see. I will gather my resources and (laughs) see how we're going to make this happen. (laughs) All a baker wants is for everything to taste good and nothing to burn. We've enjoyed receiving some burning questions related to successful baking from friends and listeners, and we thought we would share a few. Our listener, Debbie, asked us on Facebook to explain the difference between parchment paper and wax paper. Rachel, do you want to take this one? So wax paper will burn your house down. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to remember. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, Parchment paper goes in the oven. I just use parchment paper for everything. But when I first started baking, I did keep wax paper and used it for like baking candy or sometimes a recipe will say, you know, roll the dough out between parchment. You can roll it out between wax paper. If you're making chocolate drizzled things or things that have chocolate on the bottom of them and you want it to set up, you can use wax paper for that. But I really don't see, I think parchment does great for that too. So I don't know that you necessarily need wax paper unless you have some already and are looking for ways to use it. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like I've only ever seen wax paper used in the prep. Um, Like you said, never in the oven. So if you need something just nonstick to prep, but in that case, you might as well just use parchment for both, I would think. Okay, so another listener, Vidya, asked a question about bread. 
So she is interested in trying to make bread, but she doesn't want to have to wait for it to rise. And I can go ahead and answer this one. This wasn't actually a a very interesting question because I had to do a little bit of research on my own. I didn't know about this. So apparently, according to um, an article I found on the kitchen, you can use vinegar to give the bread some of the the flavor that you're going to miss from not letting it rise. Um, But you can also put it in, like once you've mixed your ingredients, you can put the dough in the microwave to activate the yeast. Um, So you're kind of just kickstarting that process. So you would put it in the microwave for, I think they said maybe like 15 to 25 seconds, and then you rest it for a while and then you put it back in um, so that the quick burst of heat will activate the yeast so that you don't have to wait hours for it to rise. I think I would probably still try to do it. I know it's a pain to wait, but I think it's, it pays off to let it rise. But if you really don't want to do that, you can do it by using the microwave. That is so cool. (laughs) Science. Chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. But also bread freezes. So like if you want to make your bread and you don't really want to always have to wait for it to rise, do it once, make a big batch, freeze it, sliced, and then you are set. True. Yeah. You get it all over with at once. That's a good point. Yeah, I've been loving getting these burning questions. So if you have a question about baking that you really want answers, please send it in to us on Facebook or Instagram or our email, and we look forward to answering it for you. South America, Central America, the Caribbean, oh my. We've been enjoying learning more about baking from specific regions of the world. This season is all about Latin American cookies, cakes, and more. For this episode, we both made Latin American-inspired cookies. But first, as always, let's start with some trivia. Okay, Rachel, I have a few sure-to-be-easy trivia questions for you. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I have faith in you. You can do it. Okay, first questions. Um... First question. Immigrants from Spain first brought the empanada, which I know you love and I also love, um, to which South American country? So they originated in Spain, but then they brought it to South America. Which country, I guess, got it first? Um, Argentina? Yes. Ding, ding. <gasps> really? Well I just have seen recipes that say like Argentine um, empanadas. So I just took a guess. Yes. So, and it's, it's tricky because like, of course the empanada is found in a lot of Latin American countries, but Mm -hmm. it looks like Argentina was the one to kind of originate it based on Spanish immigrants. And then it kind of evolved from there. Okay. So second question, arepas, which are a type of flat corn cake that looks similar to a pancake. Um, and that it can be filled with meat, cheese, beans, or plantains are very popular in which two South American countries? Ooh, specifically South America. That helps. Um, you know, I've seen these and I've never had them. Um, I think they look really good though. Um, Ecuador. Okay. What's your second? And, um, I haven't, I don't know. Um, Colombia. So you got half of that right. Colombia is one of them. <laughs> that was good. Okay. And then the other one My is Venez- Venezuela. <laughs> so Colombia and Venezuela. And um, I have had arepas before. 
I think I have had the Colombian version. I truthfully don't know much about the difference between the two, but I am now very invested because after doing research about a specific kind of food for so long, I'm like, I actually need to eat more of these. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have enjoyed them. I think you would like them too. Um, I have enjoyed them. And so I need to learn what makes a Colombian versus a Venezuelan one different, but either way, they're yummy. Okay. They sound good. So next question in season one, I made two Latin American desserts. Can you name both of them and tell me where they are from? I think I can name them. I don't know if I can tell you where they're from. Um, did you make flan and tres leches? Ooh, you know what? I I made tres leches. I don't think I made flan, but I totally forgot I made tres leches. <laughs> so there's two more on the list. Bonus. <laughs> I don't think I made tres leches for season one. I think I made that for... Oh, that's right. It was probably a different season. I think it was season two, maybe. Okay, you'll have to tell me what were they. Okay, I can give you a hint because I think you can't. One of them was a cookie and I made it very early on in season one. And it was filled with one of your favorite things. Oh, it's that sandwich cookie that's got the uh-huh. fidelity in it. Oh, what is that thing called? And it starts with an A. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, like I made this dough one time and I can see the magazine page that I ripped out and I cannot think of the name of the cookie. I think you're close enough. They were called alfajores and they're from Argentina. Yeah. And then the other thing I made was the quesitos and those were from Puerto Rico. That was season one. Yes. Those were the little cheese ones. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last one. This is also a bit of a trick question because several countries make their own variations of these. Um, But what country comes to mind when you hear desserts like churros, flan, tres leches, sopapillas? So my Mexican restaurant serves three of these. Um, (laughs) yeah so we'll just say Mexico I don't know you are correct yeah okay I think Mexico they're like the OG for a lot of these you know a lot of these desserts and it's interesting just to see yeah like a a flan from Mexico versus a flan from Puerto Rico or um, the same thing with the tres leches I know there's variations but um, very good Rachel I'm very proud of you (laughs) (laughs) you didn't feel as miserably as you thought you would (laughs) okay so yes as we mentioned in the intro we both made latin american cookies let's hear what you made so i made what is essentially like a cuban shortbread cookie um tortica de moron it has lime zest rum and cinnamon in the dough cool Rum. And I don't know if I liked it or not. <laughs> oh. <laughs> JK. Okay, wait. So rum, cinnamon, and what else? Lemon zest? Uh, lime zest. Lime. That's interesting. Lime zest. So they were really dry. And I don't know. So I, according to instructions, it doesn't appear that I overbake them. Because it says you bake them until the edges are golden. Well, my edges were golden and I stopped. So I don't know that they were overbaked. I think maybe they're just drier. Like if you're going to have it with coffee, I think it's probably okay. But just as like a standalone cookie, the recipe I use, the author said if, you know, plain is authentic, but I make mine with a guava and cream cheese spread on top. And I was like, well, I've got to try that too. Mm. So I tried them both ways. 
And they, of course, they weren't as dry with the guava cream cheese, but that was such a strong flavor. You couldn't then taste the cinnamon and the lime. So I see. I don't think that's the right combination either. Okay. You bring up a really interesting point about it being dry because the cookies that I made too were also dry. And you mentioned that if you had it with coffee, it's fine because it complements, you know. And I'm wondering if maybe, maybe like a lot of these, yes, because mine was also crumbly and dry. And, but I know just like culturally, like cafe con pan or like a dessert with coffee in the afternoon is a big deal. And I'm also thinking my mom has this tendency every time I ask her when I make something and I ask her her opinion, she likes to tell me that it's not too sweet. That's like her go-to um, comment, I guess. <laughs> and I'm wondering if maybe it's like just the type of desserts that they're used to with, with coffee, like nothing too, like not overly decadent or sweet. Just or, like a hint of sweetness. Yeah, it's just like just enough and it's intended to be with, with coffee. And that also kind of reminds me of when we did Bake Around the World, I made something from Hungary, I think. It was like a tort that was also pretty dry, but they, I remember oh, yeah. in the, in the recipe, do you remember that? It was, it was pretty dry, but it's intended to be had with coffee. So I think it's interesting thinking about how the makeup of these desserts change if, if the custom is to have it paired with something. So maybe that alters like the way that you're even making these in the first place. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think so. Yeah. you you've got in mind that you don't want it to be as sweet and you, you know, and dry is good with the coffee. So yeah, yeah. maybe. Mm. okay so what was the so the flavor tell me about the flavor I guess um yeah the taste wasn't bad it was just I was just like this is really dry yeah (laughs) but again if you dunked it in coffee or had it with coffee like I don't know if you're going to taste because it was really subtle the cinnamon and lime so and where did you find your recipe um so I found a couple of them and they all seem to be fairly similar this one just happened to be from I never know how to say this is it Savour magazine Savour yeah yeah. Okay. So Lou, tell me what you made. Okay. So I made, um, also a very crumbly cookie. They were called polvorosas, um, which I know in Spanish polvo is like dust or I think it's supposed to refer to like, it's like crumbly and kind of sandy. Yeah. They, originate well I think again you know you you find variations in different countries but I think um the one that I the recipe I used was Venezuelan polvorosas um and they were good it was it was a very crumbly dough so like the the butter to flour ratio it was way more flour um and she kept in the recipe she kept emphasizing like we're not creaming anything like you're gonna cream the butter first but you're not when you're adding the sugar in you're just um, like stabbing the bowl with your, with your spoon, you know, kind of like when you make a pie dough, you want like those little. Okay. Lumps in there. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't supposed to be like completely smooth that you wanted like the lumps from the sugar and the flour. And it was a very simple recipe. It just had flour, sugar, butter, cinnamon, a little bit of salt and vanilla. So kind of, Yeah. The, the flavor was familiar. It was good. It tasted kind of like a snickerdoodle shortbread sort of cookie. Okay. So yeah. the flavor was delicious. Um, I just had some technical difficulties working with the dough that crumbly. 
because I knew I knew to expect a little crumble, but I was like, this is not going to come together. Like, how am I going <laughs> to, I couldn't even like hold it in my hand to make, you know, like round balls. It just kind of oh my gosh. fell apart. So I did two batches. The first batch, I did it just the way the recipe said. And I will say that she made a point to say not to use butter, that she uses shortening. I believe she said shortening because she said that butter would not always give you the correct consistency for the cookies. Um, hmm. But I didn't have shortening. I just had butter. So I use butter. I'll have to go back and make sure because the recipe I also had was in Spanish. So I'm like translating some words that they use for baking products that I'm not as familiar with. Um, and oh, also yeah. the, the Celsius to Fahrenheit always gets me. I wish I could do that automatically, but I can't. I, always have to ask Alexa. I know some people who can. Yes. Yeah. There's like a little base formula you can use. I know, but I've never learned. So yeah. So I did one batch the way she said in the second batch, I was like, I can't, I need help from something. So I added a little bit more butter and a little bit of milk just to give me something to put it together. Um, right. And so I do think the first batch I really liked, it's weird. I liked the flavor more. And I think the consistency was closer to what they were looking for, like that crumbly. They were really good. I had one and I immediately thought, oh, these are perfect with coffee. Like I understand what they're for, that they're meant to be paired with coffee. The second batch that it tasted more or the, the consistency had more of like a traditional cookie. It was softer. So I didn't get that crumbly texture that I think is what you look for in these cookies. The second one looked or reminded me way more of a snickerdoodle. So I liked it. I think I just need to, there's like a fine line. There's like tweaking involved to get it to where you can get the crumble, <laughs> but still be able to put it together. You know, I don't know. Maybe I would try using the shortening as recommended, but what I liked about it was that the ingredients were simple. They're not, you know, mm. they're not like crazy things that I have to look for. Same. I already had everything I needed. Yeah. I kind of like, I'm digging all of the, I feel like the majority are going to be the same base ingredients, you know, like with the cinnamon. And if we're adding something extra, like chocolate, like cocoa powder, or maybe dulce de leche, nothing too out there, nothing too crazy. So I like that sort of simplified, but I thought they were good. They were yummy. They were just tricky. And I'm remembering I made something from Honduras with my mom. They're called semitas, which are like a type of Honduran, I guess you'd say cookie. It's like a cookie bread type of thing. And I remember having the same issue. We tried making them together a few years ago and they just crumbled all over the place. So Aww. I don't know. This is like an art form that I need to learn. But <laughs> But they taste have like really greasy hands or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe like amp up the grease to keep it all together. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. I, I had fun just looking at different recipes too. There were so many things I wanted to make, but, but I'm glad I went with this. It was an interesting experience. Yeah, there was a lot out there to choose from. So I'm, I'm excited for the rest of the segment. spending a season navigating the land of TikTok, this season we've decided to try some beautiful bakes inspired by Instagram. For our first beautiful bake segment, we are focusing on bread. Rachel, tell us about your Danish bread and where you found inspiration for your bake. So I saw this bread on Instagram. Um, it was put there by one of our favorite cookbook authors, Sarah Kiefer. 
Um, oh. And it was just so pretty. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be really hard. And I was pleasantly surprised that it was not hard. Um, this is the one I made with my nephew. And he's very good about like um, making sure things are precise. Like he's got like that mathematical brain and patterns and that kind of thing. Yeah. So he was very helpful in cutting because it gives you like a precise um, size to cut the strips to braid them. And he, he, I was cutting them. He's like, you know, that's like nowhere near right. And like these three are totally different from that one. <laughs> and I just gave him the knife. I was like, here, <laughs> you do it. And like he eyeballed like perfect little strips. So he cut the strips and then I, um, it looks like it's braided, but really it's more like a weave. Um, you kind of yeah. cross them over each other, just two of them back and forth. Um, over the filling and that was it I was like oh well I could cross stuff all day long so <laughs> um, it made two loaves and so we did two different flavors we used um, cherry jam for one and peach jam for the other and I really liked the peach one the cherry one was really tart mm. so it was just too much of a contrast I felt like between the well a little bit of sweetness was in the bread but it wasn't enough um, but the peach, it was just like perfect summery breakfast. I ate it for breakfast, like for a week. So it was really good. Yeah. That, yeah. The peach sounds lovely. The cherry, did you home, is that homemade jam or you just. No, both of these were farmer market jams, but it was the perfect like recipe to use up all my jams. So <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make this again. Cause I've got like four more jars of different jam. I'm going to say you always have lots of jam. So that's the nice thing about this recipe. It's like, you could make it pretty much whatever flavor you can find a jam for. Cool. You could, you could do it. Um, it looks beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was pretty. And then this got the glaze on top, which I think it needed because it started to dry out. So the glaze kind of helped it not dry out as much. Cool. Yeah. Um, I love looking at pictures of it and the bread on its own, like without the jam, what does it taste like? So I thought it lived up to its name. It was kind of like the Danish, but Mike didn't think so at all. He's like, I don't like the bread by itself. <laughs> He's like, together it's okay. He's like, but I'd rather just have the middle. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> it's a little, I mean, it's bread. Like I had to put yeast in it and let it rise and chill and bring it back out and shape it some more and then let it rise again. So yeah. I did all that before my nephew got here. So he just got to help with the fun part. I mean, it was a little flaky, a little, little sweet. So it was good. Very nice. So your bread has a very interesting name. Yes. I made wool bread and I made it because you said we are making these types of breads. Which one interests you? And I said, I don't want to make, <laughs> that's my inspiration. I said, I don't want to make wool bread because that sounds gross. Um, but then I looked at it on Instagram and I was like, this looks so pretty. I'm going to make wool bread. Um, and here we are. So yes, I made wool bread because it literally looks like a roll of wool and it is a really unique looking bread, isn't it? It's, it, was it is. It's really process. cool. Yeah. So again, like you said, it's, you know, we're adding yeast and all the traditional bread dough things and letting it rise. And then um, to get that effect, it was rolling out. I think it was like a six by 12 inch rectangle. And you make whatever filling you want. So I decided to do savory. Um, and I did cream cheese and chive spread, which was really good. It was yummy. Yeah. So you would do, you would put the spread um, on the upper half of the triangle. And then on the bottom half, you're using just like a pastry cutter and you're cutting about a quarter inch segments all the way across. And then you are rolling it like down from the top. So the part that has the filling, you're rolling that down. Kind of like when you're making cinnamon rolls. Mm-hmm. 
and then yeah and when you get towards the end you the cut dough makes like this really cool effect that um and that part is laid up in a pan so I used a spring form pan and I was lining the the dough um on the outer part of that pan and I just repeated that four times and then yeah when you bake it it just I don't know I think it looks really cool I I wonder though mine didn't rise quite as much as the one that was shown in the recipe that I used. it was a King Arthur recipe so it didn't like take up as much space in the pan as expected but but I love the design. I think it looks super cool. Uh, they did have me put some milk on top, brush some milk on top before uh, baking it to give it more of like a browning color. And it tastes really good. It's really yummy. I think the it was a good call to go with savory instead of sweet because they were recommending a sweet filling, like a raspberry cream cheese, something or other. But I don't know. I feel like savory doesn't get enough enough love you know I agree yeah Yeah, I think savory was a good choice and yeah when I first saw this bread on Instagram I didn't realize it was bread I was like what is that (laughs) so yeah that's like kind of why I was like oh this is one of the ones we should make yeah that was a good call it looks weird and cool and yeah and it was fun to make like it's fun seeing the behind the scenes of these bakes right because you look at it I kind of feel this way about um, some of the braided breads that we've done when you get down to it and you're doing it 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 isn't quite as intimidating as it seems um, at first like once you get the yes. down, kind of like what you were saying with your Danish bread you know you were just crisscrossing it wasn't like a complicated braid or anything right and they look like showstoppers but they're a lot more simple than you think at first yeah I am loving this because I'm I feel like we're building our little toolbox of you know you're having a get together and you want something stunning like to really grab everyone's attention look at me these are like look at me <laughs> look how fancy <laughs> look how pretty i am um so it's been fun learning more of these because now we have more available you know we have to impress if jürgen ever shows up we have to be able to show him what we can do. <laughs> look at my beautiful thanks jürgen love it Thank you for listening to this batch of Procrastinating. We hope we've provided some food for thought for your next Procrastinating project. As always, the links and photos discussed in this episode can be found in our show notes. Procrastinate with us on Facebook and Instagram while you wait for the next episode to rise. We will release new episodes first and third Fridays on your favorite platform. Be sure to tune into the next batch of Procrastinating for our first dessert and a movie bake of the season. More German baking inspired by Jürgen and a special interview with a chocolatier. Until next time, stay sweet. This has been Procrastinating. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a good review. You can also subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed directly from our website at ProcrastinatingPodcast.com. Also, feel free to follow us and give us your feedback on social media, on Instagram at at ProcrastinatingPodcast, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProcrastinatingPodcast. Procrastinating is hosted and created by Rachel Rhodes and Luisa Gonzalez, produced and edited by Raul Ceballos, theme music by Alex Walker-Smith, and show artwork by Rob Demers. Thank you.